for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTradio.live. The latest information and analysis of major events from around the world. You're listening to Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hello and welcome to your global news hour. Yes, we're live here at TNT Radio. On today's show, the whistleblower who provided information to New Zealand politician Liz Gunn for what she called the mother of all revelations, now identified as Barry Young, has been arrested. In the final segment of this hour, I will provide background and details of why this has happened, part of the said revelations that Gunn has claimed. Meanwhile, new studies have shown that COVID and COVID vaccination may be creating urinary and prosthetic complications. There's new evidence shows COVID vaccination after infection is more likely to cause side effects in recipients. A man has been arrested ahead of a Tesla Cybertruck event for a terrorist plot. Police alleger beauty pageant operated, while well, an operator rigged the contest in favour of an anti-government contestant. The news seems to be getting crazier by the day. But first today, hundreds of Palestinians have been killed in Israeli air raids in the past 24 hours in Gaza as the Israeli army ordered more areas in and around the enclave's second largest city of Khan Yunus to evacuate. The Director General of the Government Media Office in Gaza told Al Jazeera that on Sunday, more than 700 Palestinians had been killed since Israel resumed bombardment after a seven-day truce ended on Friday. More than one and a half million people have been displaced, most of them from northern Gaza, since Israel launched the military offensive on October 7 in the wake of that deadly Hamas attack. Overnight and into Sunday, intense bombing was reported in Khan Yunus, Rafah and some northern parts targeted by Israel's air and ground attacks. Everywhere you turn to, there are children with third-degree burns, shrapnel wounds, brain injuries and broken bones. James Elder of UNICEF's global spokesperson has said, mothers crying over children who look like they are hours away from death, it seems like a death zone right now and separately the bodies of 31 people killed in the israeli bombardment across the central areas of the strip were taken to al Aqsa martyrs hospital in gaza's central city of Deir el balah said omar al dawari an administrative employee of the hospital in northern gaza rescue teams with little equipment scrambled sunday to dig through the rubble of buildings in the Jabalia refugee camp and other neighborhoods in gaza city in search of potential survivors and dead bodies Hopes of any future cessation in the fighting were dashed on Saturday when Israel announced it was pulling out of negotiations from the Qatari capital Doha, saying talks had reached an impasse. The Israeli military on Sunday expanded the evacuations directive in Khan Yunus and the vicinity urging residents from at least five additional areas to relocate for safety purposes. With more, we join this report from Al Jazeera's Assad Beige. Children are meant to play in the dirt, but in Gaza, it's the shroud. The bombing has continued in areas that the Israeli military said were safe. I was asleep. I woke up. I found myself under the rubble. I didn't find anything. All around me was logs and rocks. I tried to move, but I couldn't because there were a lot of rocks. I kept screaming and calling for the people. Men came and carried me. They put me in the ambulance. And more strikes on the Jabalia refugee camp. Reports of dozens killed. My father and brother are dead, he says. There is no respite for Palestinians here. 
Civil defense teams frantically traverse narrow streets of Khan Yunus in the south. Palestinians' homes and lives continue to be ripped apart. Many have already moved from the north to the south, making these areas even more densely populated than before. When the civil defense teams came, they were confronted by an unimaginable scene, a residential area consisting of more than 50 houses, as per the testimonies of the civilians and residents, stating that this square was highly populated by residents and internally displaced people. It was targeted by more than 10 bombs launched by Israeli occupation forces. We're talking here about hundreds killed. Hamas's Al-Qassam Brigade fighters released video which appears to show them taking on the Israeli army in Beit Hanun in the northern Gaza Strip. Israel says it wants to destroy Hamas, but fighters continue to resist its military advance. The six-day ceasefire which ended on Friday gave people a few days of calm. Now there's more bloodshed. Fewer hospitals operating, fewer emergency vehicles, and if this rate of killing continues, fewer Palestinians left in the Gaza Strip. An American warship and multiple commercial vessels came under attack in the Red Sea on Sunday, the Pentagon has said. And what is being seen as the latest in a series of maritime attacks on regional shipping routes linked to the Israel-Hamas war. In a statement released by the Department of Defense, U.S. officials did not immediately identify the source of Sunday's attack. Soon after, Yemen's Iran-backed Houthi rebels said that two ships linked to Israel had been attacked by its forces with a drone and missile, but did not acknowledge targeting a U.S. Navy vessel. And earlier on Sunday, the U.K.'s Maritime Trade Operations Agency said that it had made been made aware of reports for drone attack in the Bab el-Mandeb Strait of the Red Sea. It also stated that drones originating from Yemen were active in the area and that there had been a possible explosion. A series of maritime attacks had been reported in the Middle Eastern waters as the outbreak of war between Israel and Hamas threatens to spiral into a wider regional conflict. Last month, Houthi rebels seized a vehicle transport ship linked to Israel in the Red Sea off the coast of Yemen. According to the Navy Times, the USS Kani shot down an Iranian-made drone that was heading towards its position from Yemen-controlled territory. It added that the incident occurred a day after Iranian drone came within 1,500 yards of the aircraft carrier Dwight D. Eisenhower as it was in the international waters in the Arabian Gulf. Here is Pentagon spokesman Tony Schaefer speaking earlier from Channel 9 in Sydney. So essentially this is another uh, attack by an Iranian proxy, the Houthi, out of Yemen. And uh, this is not the first time. This is uh, by my count the third time we've had essentially engagement uh, in the area off of, uh, of uh, Yemen in the uh, that area where you have heavy influence by the Iranians. The U.S. technology has been very effective by all accounts knocking it down, but again, this is adding to the over 75 attacks of Iranian-backed or Iranian-directed uh, militia on the land. So overall, by my count, uh, we've the United States has retaliated, I think, three times. We're talking now upwards of uh, close to 80 to 90 attacks that, uh, by the Iranians or their, their militia to include these now. These attacks are derived from Iran. And the basic policy is, they're the Pentagon's stated policy is they're going to be very precise and reluctant to engage militarily. I think it's the wrong approach. I think if you sit back and let the Iranians continue to kind of pummel you at the rate of 25 to one, mm. they're not gonna be deterred. So, but at this point, the Pentagon 
feels comfortable pushing back on a, on a uh, smaller basis. Using the China threat as an excuse to build hegemony, the US, the UK and Australia are reportedly expanding their AUKUS military cooperation from nuclear-powered submarines to anti-submarine systems featuring drones and artificial intelligence, as well as space tracking, all of which are sensitive fields that risk triggering an arms race, experts warned on Sunday. Defence chiefs from the US, the UK and Australia Friday met at the US military's defence technology hub in Silicon Valley to forge a new agreement to increase technology cooperation and information sharing in the next step forward, widening the AUKUS partnership among the three countries the AP reported on Saturday. The enhanced cooperation has been driven by growing concerns about China's burgeoning defence spending and rapidly expanding military presence in the region, the AP claimed. In addition to nuclear-powered submarines in the original AUKUS deal, the new agreement will set up a series of military exercises involving the use of undersea and surface maritime drones and improve the ability of the three countries to share intelligence and data collected by their Sono boys, which are used to detect submarines and other objects in the water, the AP report added. AI will be used, including on P-8A surveillance aircraft, to more quickly process data from the boys in order to improve anti-submarine warfare, said the AP. Late November, the Wall Street Journal ran a report claiming that China is narrowing one of the largest gaps dividing the US and Chinese militaries as it makes advances in its submarine technology and undersea detection capabilities. And the cooperation among the three countries likely wants to stress this issue, observers have said. With the US now having a space force, it will obtain more space monitoring capabilities from the UK and Australia by data and intelligence sharing and prepare for potential joint space military operations, Wei Dongzhu, a Beijing-based military expert, said. In essence, the goal of such cooperation is to build a small military clique of hegemony under the excuse of the China threat so the three countries can strengthen defence cooperation, expand military power and make provocative moves, Wei said. The international community could see through the three countries' hegemonic aim and raise high alert over their military schemes, analysts said. Meanwhile, speaking at the Reagan National Defence Forum, Secretary of Defence Lloyd Austin pushed ahead with a speech some considered to be jingoistic and preserving the United States, United States rather, position as a global policeman despite the increasing resistance to it given the many examples of countries lining up to be part of a BRICS alliance, which are considered to be an enemy of the US, including Russia, Iran and China. For starters, here is part of Austin's speech. You know, only one country on earth can provide the kind of leadership that this moment demands. And only one country can consistently provide the powerful combination of innovation, ingenuity, and idealism, and a free minds, free enterprise, and free people. And that's the United States of America. The U.S. military is here to win our country's wars and to win them decisively. We will always try to deter conflict, but if we have to defend our country, we will fight and we will win. We're living through challenging times, and that includes the major conflicts facing our fellow democracies, Israel and Ukraine, and bullying and coercion from an increasingly assertive China. 
in a worldwide battle between democracy and autocracy. So these are the times when both our friends and our rivals look to America. These are the times when the American people count on their leaders to come together. And these are the other times when global security relies on American unity and American strength. President Biden calls this an inflection point in world history. And with his leadership, we have rallied our allies and partners to defend the rules-based international order. Now, I know that that phrase doesn't get everybody's pulse racing. But the rules-based international order is central to our long-term security. It is the structure of international institutions, alliances, laws, and norms built with American leadership after the staggering losses of World War II. And those rules help ensure that nothing like World War II can ever happen again. They uphold sovereignty and honor borders. They help ensure that civilians are protected and not targeted. And they help to punish aggression and keep bullies in check. The world built by American leadership can only be maintained by American leadership. And as President Biden has said, American leadership is what holds the world together from Russia to China, from Hamas to Iran, our rivals and foes want to divide and weaken the United States and to split us off from our allies and partners. Ordinary people can show extraordinary courage. And that's exactly what I saw in Kyiv. I saw a proud, bustling city in the heart of mainland Europe, and it is in the gun sites because of one man's hubris and fury. But the Ukrainian people have met Putin's assault with defiance, resilience, wit, and yes, even grace. The Ukrainian military has failed to achieve any breakthroughs on the battlefield of the past several months, but the West should stand by the country regardless. NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg has argued. The official also lamented the apparent failure of the military bloc's defence industry to establish and provide Kiev with the munitions it requires. Earlier last week, Stoltenberg warned that Moscow had been amassing missiles ahead of the winter, noting that Russian weapons manufacturers were operating on a war footing. We have to be prepared for bad news, he said. Wars must move in phases, but we must stand by Ukraine in good and in bad times alike, NATO's chief insisted. According to Stoltenberg, ramping up production is of decisive importance at this juncture. When asked what Kiev should do in the meantime, while its backers increase weapons production capacities, something that is bound to take time, Stoltenberg said that he would have leave these difficult operative decisions to the Ukrainian leadership and military commanders. I think one of the problems that we must address is the fragmentation of the European defence industry. We're not capable of working so closely together as we should. He called on all member states to overcome the national narrow interests and increase supplies instead of enjoying rising prices. And coming up after the break, Nicaraguan police have accused a beauty pageant of rigging the competition for an anti-government contestant. This is Compass on TNT Radio. Radio. 
Pervoy Morich on TNT Radio. From June 2012, the BBC, Tony Blair, ID cards needed to tackle illegal migrants. Uh, of course, that was 2012. Those ID cards today are is, is digital ID. And uh, Majid Nawaz, among others, he, he says, globalist surrogates pretending to be right, populist right-wing influencers against Muslims and immigration are leading you into a trap. It was these very same globalists who opened our borders as part of their plan after invading multiple countries in your name. And of course, it's the same false flag form they're creating the problem intentionally because they have a solution that they want for us. So, you know, they got the solution, which is, you know, dystopia. Uh, and then they figure out, okay, what problems can we create to, to get where we want to go? So we want this algorithm ghetto. How do we get it? Flood in illegal migrants, get rid of law and order. And the solution is going to be the algorithm ghetto. And we're already seeing signs of that. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me. And I was trying to figure it out. And I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Jason Oborn and Compass on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Nicaraguan police have accused the owner of the country's Miss Universe franchise of rigging a beauty pageant to ensure that an anti-government activist won in what authorities claim was part of a plot to overthrow the Central American country's government. Can you believe that? Police said in a statement on Friday that Karen Celebrity, the director of the Miss Nicaragua event, had engaged in a conspiracy designed to overthrow the political establishment by selecting as a government critic as its winner to advance to the Miss Universe competition. The reigning Miss Nicaragua, Shenis Palacios, who was crowned last month as Miss Universe in the 72nd iteration of the event, this time held in El Salvador. The 23-year-old communicologist defeated 83 other beauty queens to claim the accolade, triumphing over various events, including in-depth interviews, an evening gown and swimwear modelling. 
Last year's win was swiftly hailed by Nicaragua's President Daniel Ortega, who said her victory had brought legitimate joy and pride to the nation. However, the celebration was short-lived after it soon emerged that she had participated in mass anti-government protests in 2018. Human rights officials say that government forces killed some 355 people in the demonstrations, which Ortega's government claimed was part of an attempted coup backed by foreign interests. His critics, though, said the protests were in response to what they claimed was the president's autocratic governance and his extended rule over the country. Ortega has been in power since 2007. According to Nicaraguan authorities, Celebrity orchestrated the crowning of Palacios as Miss Nicaragua to turn pageants into political traps and political ambushes financed by foreign agents. The National Police also said the Celebrity had previously participated actively on the internet and in the streets in the terrorist actions of a failed coup. Police added that she, her husband and her son faced charges of treason to the motherland. Palacios's victory was widely celebrated on the streets of Nicaragua, where public protests have been banned since the events of 2018. Police say that the pageant organisers attempted to arrange further anti-government protests. Palacios, the first Nicaraguan to wear the Miss Universe crown, has yet to comment on the situation, but has not returned to the country since her win now resides in New York. Celebrity was barred from entering Nicaragua in October, while her husband and son are currently detained in the country. Reuters said the news agency also stated that it could not contact Celebrity for comment. And a Florida man was arrested last week after allegedly planning to commit a mass casualty event at Tesla's headquarters in Texas during a Cybertruck promotion attended by Elon Musk. Prosecutors have said Paul Ryan Overeem, a 28-year-old Orlando resident, was booked on suspicion of making a terrorist threat, a third-degree felony, according to a Travis County arrest warrant. Overeem wrote under a pseudonym in an Instagram chat and made a series of threats on November the 9th, targeting Tesla's Cybertruck promotional event in Austin on Thursday. Authorities added the event was added attended by Tesla CEO Elon Musk, though he was not named as a specific target in the arrest warrant. The suspect also appeared to object to technology in modern life. Quote, he said, I want to die. My thoughts haven't been free for over a year. All the electronics around me, he wrote, according to the arrest warrant. Those statements amounted to Overeem's potential to carry out his threats of a mass casualty event, according to Travis County Sheriff's Detective Jennifer Boland. A sheriff's spokesperson on Friday declined to reveal if the suspect had any weapons when he was arrested. While Elon Musk was planning the unveiling of the Cybertruck at the Tesla Gigafactory Thursday, law enforcement was investigating a man who threatened to kill people at the event. Bad guys oftentimes use technology in order to threaten you know, victims. According to arrest documents, 20 days before the event, a Tesla security operations manager reported threatening messages sent in an Instagram group chat saying, quote, at the Tesla event, I'm planning an attack, so up to you guys to stop me. I plan on killing people at the event on November 30th, and I would like you to do something about it so I don't have to. I want to die. Every single threat that comes to law enforcement, uh, they have to take it seriously. And the sheriff's office did and started investigating, finding the phone number and name of the person associated with the Instagram account. 
whenever we get online, whenever we uh, use our phones, even at times that you think you're doing something quote unquote anonymously, you really aren't. Investigators linked the messages to 28 year old Florida resident, Paul Overeem, who had no known ties to Austin. But two days before the event, his truck was spotted on a security camera in Sunset Valley. And the day before the event, his phone was located in Austin. The everyday law enforcement officer or person sitting behind a computer trying to track down uh, threats and, and abductions and whatnot are people that often go unrecognized, but they're truly our heroes. Investigators say they believe Overeem came to Austin to potentially carry out his threats of a mass casualty event. He was arrested and charged with third degree felony terroristic threat. The cost of crab meat in Japan has fallen dramatically due to a sharp increase of imports from Russia. Nikkei reported Saturday citing the U.S. embargo on purchases of Russian seafood as the prime mover for the influx. The share of Russian crab meat of total Japanese imports reportedly amounted to just under 69% in the first three quarters of the current year, compared to just under 65% and 5% recorded over the same period in 2022 and 2021, respectively. In that time frame, Japan imported crab meat worth 38.5 billion yen, some 244 million US dollars, with products worth 24 billion yen or 167 million shipped from Russia. Prices of Russian caught snow crabs currently fetch around 2,000 yen or $14 per kilogram in the Japanese wholesale market, marking a drop of 33% compared to last year's average. Meanwhile, Canadian crab meat sells for 1,800 yen per kilo, while the cost of Norway's product hovers around 1,900, marking a major decline of 32% and 51% respect respectively from last year's average prices. Russian-sourced red king crab is sold at about 5,000 yen per kilo, also a 38% discount from last year's average. The US, once the biggest consumer of Russian crab meat, introduced an embargo on the import of seafood, vodka and diamonds from Russia in March of 2022 as part of sanctions imposed on Moscow over the fighting in Ukraine. Ban forced Russian producers to divert their supplies to Asian markets in particular, Japan. Japan, in turn, hiked tariffs on Russian seafood in April of 2022, but the ban does not target wholesale imports. Adding Russian crab meat to the blacklist would have had a large impact on Japan's seafood processing industry, according to a representative at the country's fisheries agency, decided by Nikkei. And after the headlines, 47 people are dead in East African flooding amidst calls for climate action. This is Compass on TNT Radio. I got a news flash for you. News flash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. After months of denial, Ukraine's president has admitted for the first time that his country's six-month-long counteroffensive was a flop and he's blaming the West. The mother of a black teenager who brutally beat his female teacher unconscious at a high school in the US is now pleading for the victim to show mercy on her son because he's had a hard life. And Washington says it had no advanced knowledge of Hamas's October 7 attack on Israel. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. 
At least 47 people have been killed and 85 others injured in landslides caused by flooding in northern Tanzania, says a local official with warnings the toll could rise. Heavy rain Saturday hit the town of Kitesh, some 300 kilometres north of the capital of Dorma. Direct Commissioner Janeth Mayanja has said Tanzania's President Samia Hassan in Dubai for the COP28 climate conference sent her condolences and said she ordered the deployment of more government efforts to rescue people. We're very shocked by this event, she said in a video message posted online by the Tanzanian Ministry of Health. After experiencing an unprecedented drought, East Africa has been hit for weeks by torrential rain and flooding linked to the El Nino weather phenomenon. El Nino is a naturally occurring weather pattern that originates in the Pacific Ocean and drives increased heat worldwide, bringing drought to some areas and heavy rains elsewhere. The downpours have displaced more than a million people in Somalia and left hundreds dead. In May, torrential rains caused devastating floods and landslides in Rwanda that killed at least 130 people. Since late 2020, Somalia, as well as parts of Ethiopia and Kenya, have been suffering the region's worst drought in 40 years. In 2019, at least 265 people died. Tens of thousands were displaced during two months of relentless rainfall in several countries in East Africa. With more, we join this report from Al Jazeera's Malcolm Webb. This is what weeks of torrential rain has done to towns, villages and farmland on the banks of the Tana River. More than 170,000 people have been forced from their homes by floods here in Kenya. Many had to swim or wade to the safety of higher ground where they're staying in camps. Looking at what the weatherman has predicted, that we are about to experience the peak of this, and given that it's likely to go over six months, the humanitarian needs are going to be huge. That means it's going to be large-scale need for humanitarian assistance. Two months ago, the government said it put aside about $65 million to help people. The deputy president has since said there are no funds available. Yeah, it can be stolen. The corruption can come in, you know, when it is not well coordinated. The scientists say the climatic trends can only be stopped by a global reduction in carbon emissions. Now, there's a lot of health and COVID news to get through. Here we go. COVID-19 infections and vaccines for it have been linked to urinary and prostatic complications. A recent Hong Kong study found that among men who were being treated for baseline lower urinary tract symptoms, those who've had a COVID-19 infection were at a greater risk of having an enlarged prostate, which can lead to a greater chance of urinary tract infections, urine retention and hematuria, which is the urinating of blood. Male patients infected with SARS-CoV-2 are more likely to have had deterioration of LUTs, which is the lower urinary tract symptoms. This association is not without biological plausibility, the authors of the study concluded. Receptors for SARS-CoV-2 and its superficial spike protein are abundant in the prostate. This therefore renders it a target for COVID, leading to inflammation and therefore these outcomes of interests, the authors added. Urinary symptoms of incontinence, urinary tract diseases, urinating hesitancy and frequent urination have all been reported either after COVID infection or after vaccination. Since the urethra passes through the prostate, large prostates can impede the flow of urine, causing hesitation, infections and retention. In the Hong Kong study, the authors reasoned that the urinary complications caused by an enlarged prostate are due to the virus causing inflammation in the genitourological area. 
They explained that SARS-CoV-2 viruses may be binding to ACE2 and TMPRSS2 receptors in the testes and prostate, causing damage. The relatively high expression levels of ACE2 in male and female reproductive organs suggest that these organs are potentially vulnerable to infection. However, some doctors think that the persistent spike proteins from the vaccine may also be driving the damage. Biodistribution studies of the vaccine have shown that the mRNA vaccines may segregate in the ovaries and testes, with other studies showing that the spike proteins may persist for many months to years. A common complication is the worsening of lower urinary tract symptoms among patients who already have one underlying problem. Urinary proteins involved in immune response have been shown to change before and after COVID-19 vaccination. Urinary incontinence is another common side effect of the COVID-19 vaccine. Psychiatrist Dr. Amanda Donald, who has treated several current several hundred patients, sorry, of COVID and post-vaccine symptoms, told the Epoch Times that incontinence is quite common among her vaccinated patients. I've had some 20-something-year-old women with incontinence, and they're just being told that it's normal, Dr. McDonald said. I have had six or seven women in a row coming in to tell me the same story and saying that their primary physician sent me here to talk to my psychiatrist because they think it's all in my head. Studies have linked both SARS-CoV-2 infection and vaccinations with a slight increase in prostate serum antigen PSA with the third anti-COVID vaccine dose having a more prominent impact. High PSA levels can be a warning signal for prostate cancer, but there are many cancer-free men with high PSA levels, just as there are men with prostate cancer and normal PSA levels. Meanwhile, can you recall when during peak COVID hysteria that governments around the world were laying out their vaccine mandates and exemptions were only possible for a very limited amount of time post-infection for around about three months before a COVID vaccine was meant to replace so-called speculated lost natural immunity that somehow the science that can never be questioned determined natural immunity would just evaporate. Well, now we've learned that individuals previously infected with SARS-CoV-2 develop immunity and may be more likely to experience adverse events following a follow-up COVID-19 vaccination compared to those with no history of infection, according to a study published in Clinical Infectious Diseases. Canadian researchers conducted a large prospective observational study to assess the short-term safety of COVID-19 vaccines in adults with a previous history of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Among 685,000 vaccinated participants including included in the analysis, 369,000 received Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, 201,000 received Moderna, and 113,000 received AstraZeneca's viral vector vaccine. There were 18,127 individuals, that's about 2.6%, who reported previous laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 infection two to six months before receiving their first vaccine dose. According to the study, individuals previously infected with SARS-CoV-2 were more likely to experience an adverse event the week following vaccination, regardless of the vaccine type that interfered with daily activities, school and work or required emergency department visits or even hospitalisation. These findings are not surprising, nor should any immunologist just be surprised. Public health advocate and immunologist Dr. Human Norchasm told the Epoch Times, if you vaccinate people who've experienced natural infection, especially recently, you're potentially opening the door to medical complications. 
Dr. Norchasm recounted the case of a young orthopaedic surgeon, Dr. Barton Williams, who died on February 8, 2021 from multi-system inflammatory syndrome, MIS, after receiving his second dose of Pfizer's vaccine. MIS is a rare and severe immune reaction that can occur in those who SARS-CoV-2 infection weeks or months before receiving a COVID-19 vaccine that may lead to significant organ damage. There were several high-profile deaths like Williams with previous COVID-19 who then received one or two vaccine doses the experienced and experienced a hyperimmune response and died, Dr. Noor Chasm has said. Attempting to bring the issue to the attention of vaccine manufacturers and the US FDA when COVID-19 vaccines were first authorised, doctor was concerned those with prior infection required to get vaccinated under vaccine mandates could be at an increased risk of experiencing an adverse event and called for screening antibodies levels before vaccinating. In general, a standard of care is to seen before you vaccinate to assess whether one has immunity, the doctor said, because COVID-19 vaccines have a side effect profile that includes myocarditis and blood clots, even if infrequent. When you're talking about vaccinating millions of people within a short span of time with an experimental vaccine, you have to be circumspect about that. At the very least, we need to have technology available to those who want to know whether they really really need to take the vaccine. And despite these concerns, the FDA issued guidance in May of 2021, reminding the public and healthcare providers that results from current authorised antibody tests should not be used to evaluate a person's level of immunity or protection from COVID-19 at any time, and especially after the person received a COVID-19 vaccination. The Dr. Norchasm found the FDA's guidance concerning because allowing physicians to assess antibody levels before vaccination can prevent potentially severe adverse effects and ensures only those who need a vaccine are vaccinated. A standard of care is, is to assess immunity by screening, so why not make that available to all citizens? He said, why was there such resistance to it? And it remains to say that Dr. Norchasm was a supporter of vaccination all along. Coming up after the break, the knives are out for New Zealand politician Liz Gunn and her whistleblower Barry Young, who has since been arrested. This is Compass on radio de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective well of course the biggest story in climate right now is vice president kamala harris leaves for the climate conference with the biggest carbon footprint in history she's heading to abu dhabi or whatever for cop 28 in joe's place with hosts under fire for wanting to push oil and gas deals. Do you know why there's so many people there? Because they realize what a scam this is and they're trying to push oil and gas deals. Anyway, she left and there's 400,000 people expected there. Now, do you really believe that there's 400,000 people are all interested in eliminating fossil fuels? I would say there are quite a few of them, given Abu Dhabi is in the Middle East and there's a lot of oil in the Middle East, that are seeking to do business because they know what a scam this is. And let's see, at its head, Sultan Al-Jabbar has denied reports he's using meetings at the summit to make side deals on fossil fuels produced by the United Arab Emirates. I'm sure he's smart enough to probably be doing that. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather, even if we can't go over to Abu Dhabi, because it's the only weather you got. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. 
And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. You're with Jason Olborn and Compass on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. A 56-year-old man has appeared in court Monday morning after being accused of leaking large amounts of Tiwatu Aura vaccination data online. Barry Young was arrested Sunday and appeared before Wellington District Court Judge Andrew Nichols. He faces one charge of dishonestly accessing Tiwatu Aura's databases with the maximum penalty being up to seven years of imprisonment. It comes after Tiwatu Aura Chief Executive Margie Upper said in a statement the individual downloaded a large amount of vaccine-related information and published it on an overseas website. She said Young, a former staff member at the Tiwatu Aura, had no clinical background or experience with vaccine knowledge and appeared to be trying to spread misinformation. Analysis of released data is ongoing, but work so far has not found any National Health Index numbers or personally identifiable information. She said in the video, the man claimed New Zealand has a high number of excess deaths since the vaccine rollout. However, data experts say the claim is false as the accused failed to age standardise the data. Margie Appa, the CEO of the organisation, said the individual had worked with this in the system for a number of years and was authorised to access data as part of his work. From what we have to date, the individual downloaded a large amount of vaccine-related information, and we're still working to confirm the full extent of the activity. The data is published on the site, appears to have been anonymized. Analysis of the released data is ongoing, but work so far has not found any National Health Index numbers or personally identifiable information. We assure people there is no evidence whatsoever that vaccination is responsible for excess mortality in New Zealand, she said. Meanwhile, reported by the New Zealand Herald Upper also said there was a chance some people would fall ill or die from pre-existing conditions shortly after vaccination, especially if they are elderly. Officially in New Zealand, there have been four deaths linked to COVID-19 vaccination since it was rolled out. This story began last month when New Zealand loyal party leader, a minor New Zealand political party which did not win any seats in parliament in the recent election, announced on social media what she called the mother of all revelations, a claim brought to her by this whistleblower who had accessed government data and the results were damning. Here is part of that initial video made by Gunn. Well, we have now come to an undisclosed location with a New Zealand clinician mathematician who is very experienced in statistical analysis. That person has with us reviewed the data and confirms our position that it is damning. The figures show that there are tens of thousands of deaths linked to the jabs. And this is just one of the sites recording this type of information in New Zealand. 
We don't know how many further databases like this are in the country. So it follows that as the deaths are usually less than the numbers of side effects, then the extrapolation of the numbers of injured and dead Kiwis starts to become, frankly, eye-watering. We saw in the data that there are many clusters of deaths, people who attended the same jab site and were jabbed one after the other at consecutive times on the same day. We saw their jab date. We saw their date of death. Let me give you just one of many examples. On one day, 30 people were jabbed on the same day at the same location. All are now deceased. And their deaths are in close temporal time proximity to each other. That's, that's 30. That's all players in a rugby match on the field suddenly dead. You see, statistically, the numbers of deaths we saw cannot be attributed to natural causes given same site and same date of vaccination. It would be what they say statistically highly unlikely. We are calling for an inquiry, not just any inquiry, a full-blown criminal investigation leaving no stone unturned. New Zealand is a crime scene. Computers of anyone associated with this COVID response rollout in any capacity, mobile phones, communications, bank accounts, archives, and a whole host of other targeted information must be seized. We have OIA evidence, Official Information Act evidence, that the government knew every side effect before one single jab was given in New Zealand. So, this evidence lays waste to the safe and effective narrative. We saw 13 children on the list that we have examined alone. In an interview with Michael Gray Griffith and Dr. Paul Oosterquist, a suspended anaesthetist, Gunn explained the severity of the reality of living with unexpected and unnatural death, with Michael recalling that 11,000 Kiwis were granted medical exemptions from the vaccine jabs. Well, in New Zealand, the Māori and Pacific Islanders have big extended families, and they were really focused on by Jacinda Ardern and, and all her coterie jabs. And um, there was a beautiful Pacific Island fellow who I just so wanted on the board of New Zealand Loyal, and he broke down when I talked to him. He just broke down sobbing. This is a big warrior man. And he said, um, Liz, I have been to 60 funerals in 11 months. I can't carry one more coffin. I can't do one more tangi. I can't do one more one more speech about some little baby or some little boy or, you know, a, an elder who should not yet be dead. So it is really affecting our Pacific Island and Māori brothers and sisters. They're going to so many funerals now. And also the thing that's come out from New Zealand was that freedom of information that showed that they had 11,000 exemptions. Most of them, the politicians, and the elite really it's that's staggering so they're pushing even though they've been exempt they're just pushing and saying it's safe and effective and they don't know because they haven't taken it you know it's disgraceful i i was in the meetings going around with new zealand loyal it was kind of a joke but not because nobody nobody knows what they would do with somebody like jacinda ardern and it's the same you know with every world leader who's pushed this what do you do with someone who has murdered their own people and sanctioned the murder of their own people mm. 
and and I was I was saying, you know, in the discussions, well, maybe before all these 120 politicians who didn't get the jabs before they leave, we could we could just line them all up and say, um, before you go, we're really worried. We want you to be safe, and and this is very effective. So we're going to give you three of these jabs before you leave Parliament, just to make sure you're safe out there. Yeah. I, I mean, that's entirely inappropriately facetious, but there is an anger behind that. There is a hurt behind that. There is such a deep betrayal in all of this. Our country, Michael, I think many people are are, are deeply traumatized now in this country, mm. deeply traumatized. And in some quarters, it's only a small number of Kiwis, but the viciousness online, I look at it and I pity these people. I had I had somebody I've known for for I don't know um, sixteen months who I've been you know in weekly contact with, just totally viciously, um, continually attack me, just from the week before the election, and I really pity that person because I think some people's minds can't cope with this much trauma. It's like being in a very very traumatic family situation, like a drunk or something like that, where where you have a drunk parent and you're traumatised every night. That's what this country feels like now. What Liz Garn must be feeling may well resonate with the silent part of society, beaten into submission under the banner or threat of misinformation, who are wondering when these revelations will be taken seriously and investigated instead of blaming the messenger. Perhaps Gunn's comments remind the TNT viewer or listener of this scene from Julia Roberts' Oscar-winning performance from the film Erin Brockovich. I want you to think real hard about what your spine is worth, Mr. Walker. Or what you might expect someone to pay you for your uterus, Miss Sanchez. Then you take out your calculator and you multiply that number by a hundred. Anything less than that is a waste of our time. By the way, we had that water brought in special for you folks. It came from Well and Hinkley. <clears throat> I think this meeting is over. Here is the whistleblower who was then operating under the nickname of Winston Smith, named after the lead character in George Orwell's 1984, explaining the data he uncovered with Liz Gunn that showed in batches given at different locations a death rate exceeding 30% in some locations. Unfortunately, with authority choosing to go after the whistleblower, a database expert, for not being qualified to interpret data, we do not have official verification of this data, but likely this will not change in the short term either. This is huge. So if it had been safe and effective, we would have we expected 0.75%. Yes. What we have, in, so site total death count, yeah. and we've got total site vaccination. So this is really official data. Yep. And we've got 31%. Nearly 32. So of those 191 people who were vaccinated at that care home, um, 61 of them are now no longer with us. Wow. And I would remind people, we were sold the jab to protect the old people. Exactly. Look at the numbers. Yeah, and this is a a big data set which, which makes it statistically more relevant. Um, the higher the number of vaccinations, the more accurate the statistics are going to be. So we've got um, 837 
with a death count of 253, so 30%. Almost one in three people who got vaccinated at this site are now no longer with us. And that site, Queen's Park, is in Invercargill. And here we have another residential elder care yeah. services. We've got 923 of them yeah. jabbed, yeah. 276 dead, which brings us to nearly 30%. Yeah. And yeah, again, to your point that the, the vaccination was promoted to protect the elderly, to save them. So what does it exactly save them from if they were going to die anyway? How much, how much longer did it buy them? Here's, here's one of our Christchurch ones, the doctors, Christchurch South. We've got yeah. 48 vaccinations, 12 dead. That brings it to a quarter yeah. of, of those jabbed yeah. dead. That's way above the odds. Way above the average, yeah. When we not, take it back to point seven. In a second clip, here again is Barry Young, who is described as a senior database administrator in his job title, pointing out another cluster from Invercargill. And like any statistician who uncovers such glaring anomalies, offering his reasoning as per standard operating procedure of what must happen from here, but is not. A cluster of 51. So it means 51 people died and they're all within two hours of each other. And it's, it's unbelievable. And it's like, this, this should be an inquiry. It's like, what, what exactly happened on that day to cause this? Because 51 people dying who were all injected at the same time, they didn't all die at the same time, but they were all injected at the same time. Now, no longer with us has you've got to ask some questions about that. It's like you're sitting on a bus with a group of people and you're one of 51 on the bus. And then a year later, you are the only one that survived out of the whole bus. It's like the chances, the chances of that are so remote. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's almost impossible. That's what a statistician would say, almost impossible. But the, the real odds are like, you know, trillions to one against. So that, that basically points to, it, if it's nothing else, Occam's razor, when, all, when you eliminate all of the factors, what are you left with? What is, what is the fundamental underlying cause of this? And the only thing that is left logically and scientifically is the vaccine itself. And in breaking news, after appearing before Judge Andrew Nichols this morning, Young was ordered to reappear this afternoon so that bail could be discussed. He was granted bail from 1pm tomorrow. That means that Young will be spending tonight in custody. Meanwhile, former Health Minister Aisha Verrill told Media Monday morning that the leaking of information is very concerning. Of course, she said that New Zealanders give their health information to Te Watu Ora in order to make sure they're cared for appropriately when it is used for another purpose and that purpose is vexatious, then that is a cause of concern. Sounds like the people in New Zealand need to stop smoking what they're smoking. They're not making any sense whatsoever. Once again, we have a situation where the government is in complete denial in New Zealand, doubling down on its official stance, telling the New Zealand people there is no evidence whatsoever that vaccination is responsible for excess deaths in that country. They managed to achieve this through no investigation and arresting the man who exposed it. So long as your privacy data is safe, 
who cares about your health from experimental mandated preventative medicine that doesn't prevent anything. No wonder the former Labor government was thrown out in no uncertain terms and the new Luxon coalition government is considering the country's position on any future arrangements with the WHO's international health regulations. Many of our listeners or viewers are probably wondering when it will be time for the tables to turn with someone, anyone in authority standing up and demanding accountability without that investigation being sabotaged either by design or during the process. Well, that's the end of this edition. Thank you for joining me. Up next is Chris Smith. Thanks for watching Jason Olborn. That's me on Compass here on TNT Radio.